Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. This podcast is about sharing strategies and ideas to help business owners build, protect, and transition their businesses for the future while creating more balance in their life. Your host is Thomas J. Perone, CLUCIC, and president of the New England Consulting Group of Guilford Incorporated, consulting business owners for over 50 years. Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth. Hi, I'm Tom Perone, and I'm your host. And this podcast is all about learning strategies to build your business, to create greater profit, but to create also an abundance of leisure time so you can enjoy what you're building. Today, we have a wonderful guest, and I would like to introduce to you Brian Kerrigan. Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, well, we're excited about having you on because you have a wealth of knowledge through your experience working with business owners. And I was excited about this show today because I know we're all going to learn an awful lot. Brian, before I get into it, let me give them a little bit of background and, and we'll go deeper in a little while. But Brian... Uh, Brian Kerrigan is a business growth advisor with Whittlesey, and what Brian does is he helps clients drive sales, reduce expenses, and minimize the risk to help the clients grow the value of their business. He helps business owners prepare to sell their business and transfer their businesses to the next generation. Brian, that's a big topic. Because... And, you know, and, and I think, you know, the way I generally like to break it down, I mean, you know, our, our, our perfect client is probably three, five to seven years out from a transition. So they're either highly motivated to maximize the value for sale or they're highly motivated to get the company in a, in a situation where they can have a successful transition to the next generation. I've had uh, what people ask me, well, when should we start thinking about transition? And I say the minute you start your company because of starting to build systems and value drivers, because those are the things that drive the value and the most potential value out of the business. Um, Yeah, I agree with that, Tom. And And I think, you know, I think what people discount is the fact that you could end up with someone with a disability at an early age who who is forced to sell the business. And if you don't have the business in shape to be able to to be sold, you're going to lose a lot of value there. It's it's very much like, um, you know, it's like selling your home. Well, you, you, you don't fix your home in the last minute. You keep it up to date. You keep it modern because you never know who's going to knock on your door. And you bring up a good point. Disability. <clears throat> Excuse me, Brian. There are people that think 30 years, five years, seven years, uh, thinking that they have, they're in control. But what happens, like you said, if they have a disability or a hardship, right? Um, it's an interesting concept. And we have a lot to cover. Brian, please tell our audience um, how you really got started in this profession. I got started in this profession. I was actually running my own law firm. And one of the things that I was trying to figure out was, you know, how do we develop more of a recurring revenue model with our law firm clients? So 
I did a lot of business law, but I really wanted to use my experience as a business owner to help business owners navigate some of the more tricky situations that they have. And I started doing a lot of business advisory and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I kind of, it's really my passion. I, I really enjoy getting up every day and doing business advisory. So I've continued to do it. Um, about eight years ago, Whittlesley approached me because they, they were, they're an accounting firm and they did a lot of tax and they did a lot of audit, but they never really expanded into the substantive business advisory services. And they really wanted to do that for their clients. So they brought me on to help them do that. And, and you are a, an accountant also, Brian? So I'm an account. Yes, yeah, so I start. I actually started my career in accounting. So I started my career in accounting at Ernst and Young. I did that for about eight years. I then, during the middle of my tenure at uh, Ernst and Young, I decided to go to law school at night. So I actually have, you know, I actually have a JD. I have a law license in the state of Massachusetts. I don't practice law, um, but you know that that law. That law background helps me, especially when it comes to risk minimization, you know, looking at looking at a contract, not from a legal perspective, but looking at a contract from a risk mitigation perspective, you know, where are the potential economic problems that you have in that contract or in those relationships that you need to deal with before they become a problem? The, you know, uh, the... I read a good book and I can't remember his name, but he was talking about the generation uh, uh, generation X or something about how the baby boomer generation and business owner um, built businesses because that's what they saw their parents do working all the time. The next generation kind of said, yeah, but we want a lot of time off to spend with the kids and do this. We're not interested. How are you finding how are you finding business transitions with baby boomers today into the next generation? Is it is there is there some kind of pattern that you can see? Well, I mean, I don't know that there's a specific pattern. I mean, they tend to be, you know, specific situations that you have to look at. But I don't think there's I, I wouldn't say that Generation X is necessarily completely focused on work life balance. I think they certainly are more focused on work life balance than the baby boomer generation. Um, but I think what we we try to do is we try to say to them, well, let's because that's important to you, let's make sure that we set the business up to run well without you being there. So you don't need to be there 90 hours a week. And, you know, and that's a good practice from a business valuation approach, Tom. As you know, if, if the business is wholly dependent on the CEO and the CEO has to work 90 hours a week, to make this thing go, it's not a very valuable business. I just had that conversation with a referral that we talked to, and he said, very proud of his business. He says, I make over half a million dollars a year. Um, I said, yes, but you're going to have a tough time selling your business, and here's why. You work 85 hours a week. Nobody wants to do that. Right. He, he couldn't delegate. You know, the same old story we always talk about. Um, it's interesting. Um but it's one of those value drivers. And I want to talk about that, Brian, because um, some of our audience may never have heard that 
word value drivers. Can you spend some time telling us about value drivers and how it affects the future value of the business? Yeah, so I look, when I think about value drivers, I, I, I really think about it in three main areas. I think, you know, if you're going to drive value in a business, you need to be able to drive your sales uh, optim- optimally, driving those sales 15 to 20% a year. Um, you need to be able to remove the waste from your systems and processes to get rid of excess expense so you have more profitability. You need to treat HR as a profit center as opposed to a risk and compliance function because the more the more well-trained, the more engaged your workforce is, the more efficient they're going to be and the more profitable that you're going to be. Um, so now once we've gotten through the sales and the expense aspect of it in terms of profitability, then we start to look at the risk. I mean, do you have a do you have a huge customer concentration in one or two customers? If those customers leave, what effect is that going to have on your business? Well, it's probably going to make your business a lot less valuable. So we, we want to identify something like that up front and take measures to diversify your client base so you're never in a position where half your business value goes out the door with one relationship changing. Uh, and, and it's always an ongoing change, isn't it? It's always, uh, I mean, if I had to ask you, what are the key things that employers need to always focus on? It, it would be a set of those value drivers, I would think. Yeah, it's a set of those value drivers. But I think the the one thing that's constant is change. I mean, I think part of Part of being a really strong, innovative company is that you need to be constantly changing and constantly adapting. And, you know, change is something that generally, you know, only about 30% of the time is successful unless you've gone through and you've really worked on maximizing your change process, your readiness, your capability, and your beliefs regarding change need to be optimized so that you get an optimal change result from these programs. Brian, this might be an obvious answer. I'm not sure, but what what do you think are the biggest, uh, the thing that worry business owners today the most? What's their biggest concern? Well, I think... Right now, I think it's probably COVID-19. It depends on the industry, but it's probably COVID-19 and the impact upon the industry. I mean, I think if you're if you're in the hospitality sector, you've really been devastated by COVID-19 and and you're going to need to adapt your business model Um in a, in a way that allows you to be profitable, knowing that people aren't necessarily going to return to restaurants, hotels, and uh, air, to the airlines fairly quickly. But I think, you know, COVID has been, it's been very industry specific. I mean, I have some clients who are doing better than they've ever done. You know, I always give the example of if you manufacture Purell, this is as good as it gets in terms of, where you're ever going to be. I mean, if you're in construction, you're probably 10 to 15% off, but I, you know, we have concerns about long-term, the long-term aspects of construction because we don't see a lot of new retail space and we see people using less office space moving forward. So there's going to have to be an, ad- an adaptation probably to more restoration than new construction. The, uh, 
yes, there's been these companies have had to really uh, call an audible on their their business plan um, at many industries. But you're right; some have been. It's, this has been a great thing for many of them in in uh, in a profit uh, way. You know, um, you know what what do you see? One of the things I talk about in my book is business owners and executives finding ways of taking more time off. In your planning um, with business owners, what do you see as far as their ability to walk away for 30 days and have their business run? Yeah, I mean, at some point, they have to be able to walk away for 30 days and have their business run if they truly want to have valuable business. I think, um, you know, a lot of business owners struggle because the business owner, you know, the business is their baby and to let it go and have someone else step into their shoes and run the business is difficult, but it's necessary if we're going to go through a sales transaction in a relatively short period of time. No one wants to buy a business that's going to be dependent upon the owner being there in perpetuity. And frankly, the owner is doing themselves a disservice if they don't get to the point where they can have the company run without them because you know a lot of their compensation in a transaction is going to be earn out as opposed to upfront cash because they need to transfer all the relationships and all the responsibilities onto new people. And that's a big, that's a big issue. And it's a question that uh, I, I had a case one time where the uh, key person knew so much about the business more than the owners and was driving profits that when the sale came about the key person almost held the owner hostage about a stay bonus saying, you know, give me 10% of the sale price and I'll stay. Uh, he had the audacity to do that, but he had all the knowledge and knew the customers. So how does a, a business owner actually protect themselves from, let's say, uh, an overzealous key person? Uh, what are the things that you suggest that they do to put in force to protect themselves? I think the first thing they have to do is acknowledge that that's a key person and that that key person is critical to the business. I think that 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 can be sometimes very difficult for an owner to say, hey, there's somebody else within the ambit of our business who's extremely important. So I think once you've sort of acknowledged and accepted that that person is a key part of your future, um, it's most likely the successor who's going to buy your company is also going to agree that that's that's an important person. So, you know, you certainly, you know, you've heard the term golden handcuffs before. Yeah. Yeah. You certainly want to incent that, you know, while you're building your business, you want to incent that person to stay and that that may include some equity in the company that may include some phantom stock or some, you know, different types of plans to keep them engaged and and keep them with the company. But even upon sale, most likely if it's a private equity firm, they're going to try to lock down that key person as well with some long-term incentive compensation. Right. To keep them there. And uh, I've seen this happen a number of times, especially in the smaller firms, but Anybody listening who has a key person really should pay attention and not assume 
they're going to either stay forever or leave because uh, they might be the potential buyer on an inside sale or they may disrupt an outside sale. So it's something to, it's something to talk about, isn't it, with your key people and group? Well, it absolutely is. I mean, we've, you know, we've seen companies that don't prepare well for sale and that key person, as you mentioned earlier, basically holds the sale hostage because they say they want 10 or 15% of the proceeds or they're going to leave, you know, with all the customers and all the industry secrets uh, in place. So, um, yeah, you definitely want to you, you definitely want to get them into some sort of incentive plan. I mean, you want you, you want you know, though non competes aren't as restrictive as they used to be. I think you want to put them on a non compete as well, at least as to customers and employees. I had a um, a firm out in Bridgeport many years ago where the two key people left and took everything there were no documents no agreements and it really shook up the main company uh, they did a, they did a job on them so it does happen and it's something that i know employers need to talk about and and have that discussion with them brian i've talked to a lot of employers and i tell them very often that they have too much equity and wealth in their business and I also say to them, someday you're going to leave either by death, disability, or you're just going to be burnt out. And do you have a way of getting all this equity out of the business? Can you talk a little bit about too much wealth in the business? Yeah, my goal with business owners is to, is to diversify away from the business. So, I mean, you're going to have in a successful business, you're going to have cash flow and you're going to have different needs for that cash flow. I mean, you're going to have personal spending needs that you need to take out as wages or distributions. You know, you're going to have uh, programs that you want to fund that you need to keep the capital in the business to fund the fund the growth within the business. But then there's a third, which is sort of what I would consider your excess cash flow. I want to get that out of the business. Uh, in the first instance, I want to get it out of the business to pre prevent a, a successful lawsuit against the company. You don't want to have a ton of cash sitting in the corporate veil if some if you end up in a lawsuit situation. But more importantly, to get it out of the company and get it into diversified assets. Um, you know, no one would go to their financial advisor or should go to their financial advisor and say, you know, I want you to buy a million dollars worth of Tesla stock, and that's the only stock that I'm going to own in my portfolio. That's extremely risky. You would typically go for a diversified portfolio, but business owners tend to not diversify, and they tend to have all their wealth in their company stock. Yeah, uh, and um, it's it's something that I I put in I talk about in my book about that situation, especially when you're near retirement. I mean, owners don't realize how difficult it is to sell a business, and their expectation of their of what they want to get is, in many cases, in reality, is far different. So, can we talk a little bit about? evaluations and appraisals and how often and do you recommend they get appraisals periodically? 
Yeah, I don't. I don't have a standard formula for appraisals. I mean, yeah, I think you probably need you need to be looking at your value on an annual basis. I think one of the things that might be helpful for some of your listeners is to go out and get a preliminary evaluation right now, and then sort of apply the logic of that valuation to their business on an annual basis to see whether they're increasing value or they're losing value. So I think, you know, maybe you look at a valuation, a full valuation every three to four years, but I think in the interim years, you can sort of rely upon the methodology used by the valuation company to, to kind of pinpoint whether you're increasing your valuation or, de- or decreasing it. I see a lot of um, people using generic formulas and my question to them is always, uh, have you double checked the uh, IRS and the tax court about how they valued businesses using generic formulas, you know, five times, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. And that's why appraisal, I think, are, are very important to get periodically by a professional. Yeah, I mean, the reality, I mean, the biggest part of the appraisal is what multiple of EBITDA you're going to get if you're in a multiple of EBITDA type type of acquisition environment. And, And that, you know, that can change depending on the risk profile of the industry. So, um, you know, I would think that, you know, though there's probably not a lot of EBITDA in hospitality companies right now, if there were was EBITDA, I think you would get a lower multiple because of the COVID-19 risk that's going on right now. That brings up a good point, Brian, because a lot of companies have two things that have happened in the last two or three years. One has been the 2018 tax change where we have pass-through income um, and a lower corporate tax. And COVID-19, those two elements seem to have whacked out valuation in many, many companies, I would think. And yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, certainly the tax code changes may, you know, get, you know, the tax, the reduction in the corporate tax rate, the reduction, you know, the, the presence of a 20% pass-through deduction on the pass-through side certainly made the after-tax return of cash flows better. So that positively impacted valuations. Uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, COVID, you know, it depends on what industry you're in. So in some industries, it's actually helped your valuation and, you know, and it probably will continue to help your valuation. My guess is, as we go through the you know the next five to ten years, people are going to use a lot of Purell. I mean, you know, COVID nineteen may may eventually go away. There may be a vaccine, but something else is going to come along at some point. I think people are going to be more focused on being healthy, and that's going to have significant impacts on that industry. Do you do you think um, companies? Um of course, they're probably going to scale back quite a bit in office space. I've noticed that with a few of the companies that I've been speaking to. Uh, you think that's going to have a huge impact on a lot of companies, uh, the cost of space? Yeah, I think it will. I mean, I think it'll have obviously a positive impact on the companies that 
demand space right now. I mean, they're going to have, they're certainly going to have less rent expense, uh, you know, assuming their sales stay the, stay the same, their rent expense goes down, they're going to have more profitability. So I think that's going to drive, that's going to help drive profitability in sectors that demand space. I think the counter to that is sectors that provide space are, are going to have a really hard time over the next five to seven years. I mean, yeah. 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 I, I, it ought to be interesting in the real estate, uh, especially the big cities. Brian, you often talk about tangible characteristics of a business um, that you work with. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. So, I mean, typically, you know, most of our clients, you know, in order to be able to have sort of a, a, you know, a demand for our services, you know, they typically need to be on the revenue range from three to 25 million. Do we have some that are lower and some that are higher? Yes, absolutely. Um, But, you know, our main focus is on companies between that three and $25 million uh, revenue number, usually 10 to 100 employees. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we do have sort of a target that we work with. And why we find that target to be particularly useful is because the companies are probably big enough to need the strategic aspects of having a CFO, but they're not big enough to have a full-time CFO. So it's a matter of just, you know, if you have, if it's too small of a company, obviously there's not much you can implement with the company. The company drives itself. But if you're bigger with good revenue, now you can put in place and uh, some uh, very structural um, business uh, type planning because you have the revenue and you're getting the size and growing. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, are, are there there are some startups that we work with who are well funded, and you know have you know have the opportunity to grow particularly quickly. They have to have the right mindset. Um, they have to have a mindset of growing the company from the from the get go. Um, so I, I don't want to discount those startups that are well funded with a with a proper uh, view of how to grow a business but i would say that, that that's probably an outlier for us and and what are the intangible characteristics that you talk about they really have they really need to have a commitment to growth and as part of that commitment to growth they really have to have a commitment to change and a commitment to innovation uh, you know one of the things that I always say, and I, I don't think I was the first one to ever say it is, you know, if you if you want to get to a different result, you're going to need to do different things. So if you're the type of business owner who doesn't want to change your day to day, is perfectly happy where you're at and with your current income, with your current lifestyle, you're probably not a good client for us. I mean, I do have some concerns that maybe you're getting a little complacent with your business, but um, yeah, people have to be, they have to be willing to embrace change. They have to be willing to embrace innovation. They have to be willing to work on their sustainable competitive advantage because ultimately one of the key factors to selling the company is whether they have a sustainable competitive advantage in the marketplace. 
Yeah, I, I think attitude has a lot to do with uh, the way we match up, too. I, I totally agree with you. I always tell clients, you know, our clients are usually very good business people, but there's something gnawing at them because they see the potential and they want to grow. And it, it, just like you said, people that uh, don't feel that potential growth and are just happy having a job, you know, they're, they're not a good fit for us. So there's got to be some motivation on that side. And Brian, when do people, uh, when do companies contact you? When, what's the typical to talk about? There's, there's, three type, there's three types of companies that we work with. We work with companies that have a good product or service, but haven't been able to be profitable over the last three to five years. And those are really our business turnaround cases. They'll contact us because they, they know they do good work, but they haven't found a way to make that profitable. Um, the second type of client that we work with is, you know, this good to great. You know, they're doing okay right now. They've had a modicum of success in the marketplace, but they really don't know how to move forward and take the next step to really grow the value of their business. So generally they've plateaued, the business is running them, um, they're overwhelmed and they'll, they'll go ahead and contact us because they want us to help them plot a path where they're less overwhelmed and more likely to grow. And then the third type of company that we work with is the companies that are three, five to seven years out from a transition who are highly motivated to maximize value in their ability to decide to move through a due diligence process uh, or companies that are looking to transfer to the next generation and they need to get that business in a situation where they're going to have a successful transfer. The, uh, and I, I would assume the amount of time you spend with companies is variable depending on their situation. It is, but I think when, when what we're doing is working, we sort of become embedded in our company's management team. So, you know, we tend to be working with them on either a monthly or a quarterly basis. You know, a lot of times what we'll do at the beginning of the year is to help them develop their one-page business plan for the year. You know, we've found that over the years that a 30 or 40-page business plan doesn't do anybody any good because it's too overwhelming and it doesn't break what you need to do down into three or four key steps that are going to drive value. So we'll do a one-page business plan, but then we'll review that one-page business plan on a monthly or quarterly basis to see if we need to tweak it uh, let's let's say there's some obstacles that have kept us from achieving something we want to achieve. We want to deal with that up front rather than wait till year end when we can't change that. Let's talk about that because that concept has helped me over the last 50 years work with business people where we took one problem at a time and, and I, I, I call it my one-page blueprint solution. And I found it much more effective than the report. <laughs> Here's your report. And they're overwhelmed and it goes in the draw like a will and a trust and you never see it again, right? Yeah. Um, so that's very effective for you. So I'm glad to hear that because uh, that has been effective for me too. Um, and working with one issue at a time, because I find that the owners of companies 
they cherish their brevity. You know, they love brevity. Uh, and sometimes that puts professional advisors in a kind of a quandary as far as time and they need that time. But that's a good system that you have then, one page, one page solution type of system. Yeah, I think it, it takes, you know, it takes more work to draft a really good one page plan than it does to, to draft a not so good 40 page plan. And so, Brian, what would you advise people that have been in business, they're growing, um, what would be, and they haven't done anything about even talking about uh, transition or exit, and um, they're at a point where they're growing their business. What would be your advice as to uh, what they should start talking about now? Well, I would say that the first thing that they need is an emergency plan. So, you know, I, I think a lot of business owners get lulled to sleep by the idea, well, I'm not going to retire for 10 to 15 years. Well, the reality is, you know, you're one bad car accident or one bad illness away from not having the ability to run the company. So how do you create an immediate emergency plan so that the company can run in your absence in your absence and still keep its value so that your family or yourself, if you're able to do it, are able to negotiate a sale either you know, to someone internally or someone externally to preserve the value of that company. You know, that's a good point because we we overlook that. You know, right, you're one car accident away from everything, your whole world being disrupted. Um, I can only think of how many employers I know that their wives don't even know the passwords to their computers or the, the oh. key to the front door. You know, you think about that. Um, that can be devastating. Yeah, I mean, it could, you can basically lose all your business. One car accident, you can lose all the business value you've created over the course of years if you haven't, if you haven't really trained sort of the next generation of people to be able to run the business in your absence. You know, absolutely. And that's just common sense. If anything, we'd call that before you did anything an option B. That's probably one of the first things people should that run businesses to look at before they even start thinking of transition, but just have an option B um, and have it documented, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you have listeners who don't have an emergency succession plan, that's, that's something that they need right now. Hey, so Brian, that's a good topic. I, I like that. And I, I'd, I'd like to ask you, um, should we have listeners that, you know, all of a sudden the light went off in their head and started thinking about what would happen? Um, how would they get in touch with you to discuss this? They can either email me at bkerrigan at wadvising.com or they can certainly call me on my cell phone at 774 306-6135. I mean, typically what we do is we start, you know, we start with a meeting. We, you know, we need to, you know, and and the first meeting, we don't charge for the first meeting. I mean, I think we're, we're trying to figure out whether we're going to be a good fit for your company and whether you're going to be a good fit 
for our company. And, you know, we, we want to have, a, you know, a couple hours where we get together and we sort of discuss some of your needs. Um, you know, if that emergency succession plan comes up, that's something we want to work on relatively quickly, because like I said, you're, you know, you're one car accident away from a disaster. And, and Brian, is there anything that the listener can get on your website, uh, material or a white paper that you have available for them? We're actually in the process of doing a number of marketing initiatives. So I think right now, I think one of the one of the better things that you can get on our website is probably our growth and profit solution diagnostics. So basically you go through and answer 20 questions about business growth and it ranks your strengths, your weaknesses, your um, the areas that you need to work on. We're actually rolling out another 10 diagnostics uh, over the next month or so. I actually have meetings next week on how to embed that within the website. So if you have a sales problem and you don't necessarily know what the root cause of it is or what your strengths and weaknesses are, there's going to be a diagnostic that you can take. And then I get the results of the diagnostic and I can contact you to discuss those results. So it's really kind of an assessment. It's a wonderful tool uh, because it's it's a starting, it's a small step to go in a direction that's good. Um, and and Brian, if uh, anything else you'd like to add before we sum up what we did today? Yeah, I mean, I would say the other thing to be on the lookout for is we're going to do a series of white papers this year. So we're going to do a series of white papers around business growth. We'll do about five to seven pages on 10 to 12 different topics. Um, We are kicking around the idea of making that sort of a, a, in time, making that a much larger white paper or turning that into a book. So we're actually going through that process internally right now. Um, But I think if you, if you have listeners who are, interested in those topics you know definitely shoot me an email we can add you to the we can add you to our email list and you'll 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 get the white papers as they're released and i'll i'll put your website and all the contact information on our 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 show notes on the podcast so that's you could also have that information uh to get to brian and um we learned a lot today, Brian. Uh, thank you so much. I, I know that being in the business of working with benefits and working with companies and talking about uh, transition and exit and then handing it over to people like you um, is sometimes a tough conversation because decisions haven't been made and a lot of employers uh, really haven't thought that much about it. But I think what you're telling us today, there's a lot of variables and it really is something you have to put on on the plate to kind of look at because it's a serious matter. And like you said, the emergency plan is probably the key. If you did nothing more today, that would be something to have a discussion about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's the first that is the first discussion we have with every client. What is the emergency plan? And um, so also those listeners, please uh, keep aware that uh, uh, my book, which is Unlocking Your Business DNA, talks a lot about 
this type of planning in each chapter and pro proceeds go to the Wounded Warrior Foundation and you can get it at Amazon, uh, Kindle or paperback and you can buy a gift for some of your friends if you'd like. Um, and there's things in there that Brian has been talking about um, and good information to find out reasons why you should be talking to Brian about transition and exit. So Brian, I want to thank you for spending time and I look forward to doing another show and talking about some specific stuff that you brought up to me earlier. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you. I've enjoyed it. Well, thank you, Brian. And uh, happy holidays, everyone. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. It was a good show today. And uh, if you would help us out by subscribing, click a like. Uh, if you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like to share with us, please email me at tperone, that's P-E-R-R-O-N-E, at N-E-C-G-G-I-N-C dot com. And if you are a business owner or you know business owners that would like to participate on our show, certainly let me know. We certainly welcome everyone who is a business owner to help people out there that are running businesses with great ideas and strategies to make them successful. So again, thanks for tuning in. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Whenever you're ready to grow and protect your business while creating more balance in your life, here are three steps you can take. One, subscribe to this podcast. To request a free copy of Tom's newly published book, Unlocking Your Business DNA, email Tom at tperone at necgginc.com. And on the subject line, type DNA. Include your mailing address. And thirdly, take the one-minute scorecard and report to see how efficient you are in your business planning. Email tperone at necgginc.com and request scorecard. For additional information, click the show notes.